0: The following sermon is from Rob Caudell, Associate Pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. And now, here's Pastor Rob. If you have uh, your Bible, please turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Just a quick note. I was, you know, I'm. Lately, I've been on stage playing the guitar, and um, I forget, you know, how much I enjoy, you know, congregational singing. And I was especially blessed by the music this morning. I hope you were too. Amen. And um, the reason, in particular, I say that is, I just couldn't help but no help but notice how much I think the music correlates with the message today. Um. I, I want to make a quick disclaimer, um, I was supposed to actually preach this passage, uh, I think three weeks ago on the 18th, I ended up getting the flu, our whole house was sick, and sickness is just rampant right now, so it's, it's ongoing, um, it, but, but the point is, this was supposed to be a Christmas message, and some of you are probably, you know, you've had your fill of Christmas messages, but I think um, this passage is not just for December 25th. Or the month of December, it's also for January 1st and the the rest of the year. Um, I think we can make application from the words that we see in here. As well as the whole of Scripture. The Apostle Paul tells us that all Scripture is profitable. And that includes the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we'll even see how that works in this passage. So, let's go ahead and read. Uh, John chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. um, Lord it's my hope that. We are. Better in our understanding of your glory. As Christians. We get. Caught up in the things going on in the world around us. Since Christmas has come and gone. um, But I pray the spirit of that season would live on in us as we think about you coming down in, 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 in human flesh and dwelling with us. And we actually see a manifestation or we read of an account of your glory manifested in, in your son. And I pray, Lord, that um, as we consider these words as Christians, uh, we'd, we'd be sharper. Um, we'd have a stronger mind to answer questions about your glory and the purpose of your coming. And I pray for those that don't know you as Savior, that have been just looking at the Christmas season as a time to uh, get and give and eat and all that. I pray that they'd see that it's much more than that, that it's about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us so that we can experience grace and know your salvation. And I ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As I mentioned in my prayer, it is my hope that this message gives us a sharper understanding when it comes to the glory of God, because you see that theme uh, running through this passage. Um, you may talk to people that do not know Christ as their Savior. They may not be familiar with the real message of Christmas. And <laughs> not to be a Grinch, which I, I, I have known to be. Um, but the idea of Santa Claus you know, can distort the true message of uh of Christmas. It's unfortunate because most of us could probably quote Santa Claus is coming to town better than we could probably quote Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And uh, that's unfortunate but um, maybe some of you would be inclined to prove me wrong and, I'm, and I would be glad for you to do that. And It also makes me glad knowing that you're here. I know when Christmas uh, came and gone uh, last Sunday a lot of churches actually canceled their services, because they didn't want that to interfere with Christmas. And that doesn't make any sense. In in my mind, it doesn't anyway. Because what better time to get together and celebrate the birth of Christ than on a Sunday morning during church. When it comes to Christmas, we can get really sentimental. I do. It's hard for me not to. Um, I've got a lot of uh, memories and history Um, And and that makes the the, the season and the moment special. Um, I remember the early years of my life, waking up to a tree full of presents, uh, and playing with the toys, eating good food. I remember watching Santa tell Ralphie, you'll shoot your eye out kid. Now I get to enjoy that with my own kids. Uh, I get to see their look of anticipation and their joy of receiving all the gifts. um, What we give them, what my family gives them, and all of that is nice. But today, what we're going to talk about regarding Christmas, and like I said, this message I think goes beyond um, the season of Christmas, but we're going to talk about the incarnation of Christ. And we're going to talk about that from the Apostle John's perspective. His perspective is a little bit different than what you see in the other Gospels. John tells us the Christmas story without Joseph or Mary. He doesn't talk about the manger, he doesn't talk about the angels or the shepherds or the wise men or the star. Um, he gives us a more theological perspective. A more it's, it's more theological than it is historical. And it's something that we're not typically used to. Um, and I, I honestly, for, for, for years, you know, I've read through this passage. I never thought about utilizing it for Christmas until just recently. But John opens the chapter, um, and we're going to go back to, to verse 1 here real quick. I want to read those verses to you. He talks about the identity of the Word. In verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, Apostle John here is calling Jesus the Word. And the reason that's significant, think about John's audience back then. In the Greek culture, that word logos, which is where we get the Greek word, word from. I'm going to get tongue-tied trying to explain that. But in the Greek culture, logos meant the mind, the wisdom, the intelligence that created the world. The, um, and, that's, and that's, to them, it, that's, that was the source of all that was being, Um, but to them it wasn't personal. To them it was just a force, not just a person. But the Apostle John's strategy, you know, he's talking to the Greeks, it also works for the Jews because they're they're familiar with this concept of the Word of God. Ironically, the ones that Jesus came to first ended up rejecting him, the Jews, and then the Gentiles, as we see through the book of Acts, as Pastor Dan preached a couple months ago, talked about that progression when when the apostles would go into the city especially the apostle Paul he'd go and he'd preach in the synagogue the Jews would reject him and then he'd go and preach to the Gentiles and then they would receive him um so it's interesting how that works out but the, with the thought of the incarnation in mind i want to show you cuz i've titled this message the greatest gift of christmas that's the glory and the grace of jesus and that's the first thing that we see here the first thing we see is in jesus we can see god's glory Uh, verse 14 says "And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth that's verse 14 I'm gonna read verse 15 also because I'm gonna talk about that a little bit um, here in a moment John bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom I said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me now once again we're talking about that theme of glory we are made to experience glorious things in glorious moments in fact we are in anticipation of glorious things happening Uh, if you look at uh, Psalms 19.1 it says the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork Um, there's all sorts of things that we think of as glorious when we see our children accomplish amazing things we think that's glorious whether it's athletics fine arts uh, what have you we think that's wonderful um, but God um, deserves much more glory. He deserves it more than any other. And we were made to behold His glory. But because of our fallen state, because we are sinners, we cannot behold God's glory like we should. And that is why we need grace. And this is going along with what we heard in the song service. I think this is why it's appropriate. Lord, I need you. And, um, and I just want to speak Jesus because He helps me overcome these things that, that hinder me from experiencing his grace and his goodness and seeing his glory. But think about it from a human standpoint. When we do wrong, when we commit an act of sin, that's something we do as fallen creatures. That shows us our need for grace. Um, as Christians, when we do wrong to others, what do we do? We, we need to seek their forgiveness. We need to seek their grace. But that grace is not sufficient for ultimate forgiveness, ultimately we need to seek the grace of God. And that is the greatest gift of Christmas. It's not the presents, it's not the gatherings, not the food, the possessions, not, uh, not, not any of that. It's, it's the grace of God that we need the most. And it's only possible to see the grace of God, to see the glory of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, focusing on that phrase, because I think this is uh, very important, verse 14 says that, the Word became flesh. Jesus was made flesh. That's actually one of the most important essential truths in our faith, in Christianity. He had to become a man in order to die, in order for that sacrifice to be sufficient for us to have salvation. So you have the the Trinity in creation. You've got God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That second person of the Trinity The Son of God, the Word, the Logos, as as it says in the Greek, Jesus has come in the flesh. And think about the significance of that statement. The Word became flesh. The Word is God. God is an eternal, pure being. He has no beginning, He has no end, and He is never changing. Everything that is created is becoming. In the Greek, if you go back to the Old Testament, God had talked to um, Moses and... Uh, Moses had asked, Who shall I say is sending me? And God said, Tell them I am has sent you. If you go into the New Testament translation, I am is, uh, comes from the Greek word a me. And that means to be. Self-existent. Um, always been. Now when you think about what's being made, the Greek word is genomai. That's changing to. Mutating. Becoming. So with the thought of the word becoming in flesh, that's the eternal pure being entering the universe of becoming. God became a man. He became a creature. He was born. He was an infant. He was a child. He was an adult. He was part of creation. And whether it's December 25th or January 1st, we cannot overstate the importance of this. this why we celebrate this in the first place is because Jesus became flesh. And it's Sad that we don't actually, that that we have to limit it to one time a year. We should have this thought in our minds all year around. But this is what Christmas is all about. Jesus has come. God has come to us in the flesh. And we get to see God's glory. We get to experience his grace through the Lord Jesus being made flesh. And that's essentially the theology of Christmas. That is Christianity. If we don't have the incarnation, if we don't have the word becoming flesh, we don't have Christianity. And as Christians, we do understand this. I think even on a, maybe it's a superficial level, we still understand it. We understand the significance of Christmas. That Jesus is God in human flesh. He is the manifestation of God. He is fully God and fully man. Um, in 1 Timothy 3.16, the Apostle Paul says, He who was revealed in the flesh, his glory is the light that shines. Um, and, and we talked about, um, we, went, we read verse 5 at the beginning of the chapter. It says that his glory, the glory of Of Christ that's what shines in the darkness and the darkness could not comprehend it so we've got glory and then we've also got grace we can behold the glory of God through Jesus Um, going back to verse 1 we talked about how the Word is God the logos is God and all things were made through him Um, I've talked a little bit about the Greek word logos what the Apostle John is telling us is that the Lord Jesus he is um, He is God, but He is also man. He came, and and that's why, why this is significant. He had all the splendor of heaven. He had eternity past in perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's setting aside those attributes. He's not ceasing to be God, but He's taking on human flesh, and He's coming down, and He's dwelling with us. He's taking residence among us. He's setting up His tent with us. That's what that means when it says, He's taking residence among us. Um, There are occasions where you see Christ showing himself in the Old Testament. These are called Christophanies. But when they happen, they're brief and they're fleeting moments. This time, this account that the Apostle John is talking about, Jesus has come. God has come to dwell with us. And the reason that is significant, I'd like to illustrate it to you this way. Perhaps you might uh... live in a town where and I know Danville's a great example for this, so I don't... it's kind of... I did not mean for this to work out, but there's... it's notorious for some, some crime, some issues, whether it's drugs, uh... shootings, immorality, all that um... There, there, there are things that go on there, and just like any other city in the world um... but what ends up happening is sometimes people look at a city from afar and instead of going there themselves, they'll send like tracks, or they'll send materials, or they'll send certain things that they think might help, but they don't go there themselves. They'll send them a care package. But that is not what God does. He comes and He lives with us. He sets up His tent with us. It's like the tent of meeting in the Old Testament. Only instead of a building um, a tabernacle or a temple in the Old Testament, He is building His uh, tent with us. Um, God is taking on flesh and He is residing with us. And, um, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ does. And, and, and actually, it makes that Old Testament temple no longer necessary. As New Testament Christians today, you know, Jesus has ascended to the, to the right hand of the Father. Now His Holy Spirit dwells within us. So He's actually set up His residence within us. And that's where, that's part of uh, one of the ways we can behold His glory. And, and moving on from the Word becoming flesh, let's talk about glory a little more in depth. We see all His glory. And when you think of glory, a lot of people will say it's like a dazzling light or splendor or what have you, especially in relation to God. But it really should be defined like this. It is the sum total of all His attributes. It is the very essence of who He is. Um, we ourselves, we, we, we have some glory, we have some light, we have some of those things within us because of the work the Holy Spirit does within us. Um, but we still have sin. We still fall short of God's glory. And that's why Jesus is unique. He does not fall short. Here in John 1.14, He is the unique Son of God. He shares the same glory with God the Father. When we look at Jesus, we get to see the glory of God because He is God. If you look at the end of verse 14, it shows that He is full of grace and truth. If you go back to the Old Testament, that's identical with that concept of steadfast love and faithfulness. That's what we see in the Hebrew. God is full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Um, And we see this demonstrated all throughout the Old Testament. Um, I think of uh, the the time in the Exodus when uh, Moses wanted to go and see God's glory. God tells him he can't see him and live. He cannot see him and live, but God does give Moses a glimpse. He gets to see the back of God. And and when you look at, at, during that time, that was when the Old Testament was uh, being given out that Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, that was an act of grace. That was an act of love. That was an act of steadfastness. When God had every right to wipe away the Israelites for their constant rebellion and rejection, um, God still showed them love, showed them His law, a way to restrain themselves and to know their sinfulness and how much they needed Him. But not only with Moses, but there's other places in Scripture. If you go to 1 Kings 8, we're talking about the glory of God. God actually coming down and dwelling in the temple. It says in verse 10 of 1 Kings 8, "...and when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house." In, the glory of God is so strong, they can't even function in the temple. Um, they, have to, they have to leave um, because it's so great. If you go to the New Testament, at the Mount of Transfiguration, those who see Jesus' glory, this is Peter, James, and John, they were struck with great fear. It says in Mark 9, 2, after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter, and James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them. He changed. His clothes became radiant. He, uh, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And that was kind of a silly thing for him to say, but he was so scared of what he was seeing, he didn't know what else to say. But what we see in the demonstration in the Old Testament and the New Testament... Looking at, keeping Jesus in mind, Jesus has glory that is equal in essence with God. Now, talking about that phrase in verse 14, as the only son. If you look at other translations, the King James, the NAS, um, they, uh, they leave in the only begotten. For some odd reason, the ESV has omitted this phrase, but the Greek concept still remains. Only begotten comes from the Greek word monogenes. And it is not saying that Jesus had a beginning or that he was created, what it means is that he possessed the life of the Father. It does not mean that God brought him to life and only him. Some people like to use that phrase as it comes up in Scripture to describe Jesus as a created being and the only one God gave life to. But to illustrate this concept of monogenes, only begotten, um, Hebrews eleven seventeen, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Um, this, this says that Abram Abraham offered up Isaac. When he did that, he was offering up his only begotten son. We know that Abraham didn't have just one son. He had another son named Ishmael who was actually born before Isaac. So this term, monogenes, only begotten, does not mean only son, but the son of inheritance, the son of promise, the son of right. And that's who Jesus is. He is the monogonase of God because He has the nature of the Father. He possesses all the Father possesses. That's why Jesus says, all authority has been given to Him. When we think of the glory of God, it's not just a symbol. It's not just a banner. And we don't just think of it as a manifestation of light. But we think of it, as I said earlier, the sum total of all His attributes. That's everything from His love, His grace, His mercy, His wisdom, His knowledge, His power, His holiness compassion, anger, wrath, patience, all of these display His glory. And this is what John meant when he said that we behold His glory. I did read verse 15 earlier. We're talking about the John the Baptist, and I want to make sure I uh, say something about that. John the Baptist had actually declared that Jesus had a higher rank than him. Um, He is the eternal Son of God. He, He recognized the glory of the Son of God... Um, even as a baby in the womb. You remember the, the passage where he actually leaps in the womb um, at the coming of the Messiah, at the coming of Christ. And, um, and then going on with that passage, no one has seen God at any time. Jesus has made him known. Um, let's think about that. No one has seen God um, in all his glory. Because what happens when people behold God um, in, in, in full display? They die, or they go blind, or they're, they're struck dumb, or they're struck with fear, um, and this is a reminder that God is unique, that Jesus is unique, um, that, that they are holy. And because they are holy, um, when we think about our sin, when we think about our inability to behold God's glory perfectly, we are guilty. We can, and, and God cannot just clear the guilty. That's why we need Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can bring us to God because he has the unique, intimate relationship with the Father. And it's because God the Father has made him known. Um, we look at the Bible. We read the Bible. I hope you do. To learn and, and, and read and understand what it says. Because that's what Jesus does. He describes and defines the Father. All throughout scripture, you hear him talking about his Father. And that he's coming to do the will of the one who sent him. And that it's, it's not his will, but his Father's will to be done. And to really know what the, what the Father is like, what do we have to do? We have to look at Jesus. That's the only way we can know God. If you look to John 14, verse 8, Philip said to him, "'Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us.'" But Jesus said, "'Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority.'" but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. A lot of people will try to simplify and under, understate who Jesus is. He's not just a baby in a manger. He's not just Mary's son. He's not just a carpenter. He's not just a great teacher and philosopher. The eyes of the world are blind to who Jesus truly is. And, and, and Philip was obviously blinded in in some fashion because Jesus made the point, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's why it takes the eyes of faith to see Jesus for who he really is. The Apostle John, he was there. He actually got to see Jesus in all his glory at the Mount of Transfiguration. But he also saw him when he did healings and performed miracles. And even though we now presently cannot see him visibly, uh, one day we will get to see him face to face. We will be face to face with Jesus, with the Son of God, with God. And because Jesus is the Logos, remember going back to verse 1, it says He was with God and He was God. That means He's equal in essence with God. That glory that we're talking about in this chapter, that shows us that He is worthy of worship. He is worthy of all of our worship and all of our devotion and we should do all things to the glory of Jesus. Which reminds me of 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We should strive to give God glory and enjoy Him forever. Going back to to the season of Christmas, it's not just about sentiment or being nice to each other or giving gifts. Those are good things. I'm not discouraging them. But our life should be bent toward giving God glory, toward doing God's will. Christmas means that Jesus is worth all we can give, our every breath. He is worthy of our worship and everyone in the world. Now, in the New Testament church, He resides in our hearts. We are His temple. We are born-again believers, and as that, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are to show people people of the world God's glory through the way we live. Matthew 5:16 says, "In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." So our life and our testimony should point people to Jesus so that they will give God glory and, and Lord willing, be born again." Um, going on with that concept of glory, if you think about, I don't know, sports, sports some um, can be just a game, but people do get upset when you insult their team. I mean, I don't know how many of you out there are diehard sports fans, but if you say something against someone's team, they'll get offended. They don't like it when their team gets cut down because they give them glory to that team. And maybe it's not sports. Maybe it's politics. Maybe you have a favorite politician or you know someone who's all about this person uh, that's in office. They might have terrible policies and positions and and do awful things uh, as far as the government and the... And the population is concerned, but if you talk about them wrongly, they come in glued because they've put placed glory towards that person. Um, they don't like it when you insult that. And then maybe on a more practical level, maybe parents, maybe you've got kids uh, in school and they get called out for their bad behavior. Uh, they'll blame the teacher instead of dealing with their kid because they give their kids glory. They want to give their kids glory. They don't want to. They don't want to uh, hinder that or smother that. But I think all the more it should make us mindful that as Jesus followers, um, we should be defending him. When someone insults the Bible or insults the church or insults Christ or God the Father, we should be standing up, taking a stance, giving him glory and declaring him to the world and and not just going on the defense, but also on the offense. Um, People should know us that we love our Lord and that we want to serve him and we will not... Um, we, we will not stand for him his name being slandered. And so, and obviously we do that in love. So we talked about the first thing. I know I spent a long time on that. These last two points are going to be much shorter. Um, we talked about the first thing, um, how uh, we can behold his glory. But not only can we behold his glory, we can also see His glory and also experience His grace. And it goes hand-in-hand hand, kind of with what I've already talked about. The end of verse 14 says, "...full of grace and truth." John says that the Word, that's the Lord Jesus, is full of grace and truth. This is, is consistent with all that God is. God is a God of grace. God is a God of truth. Colossians 1.19, it says, "...it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell within Him. Everything the Father is, the Son is also. He was always fully God." and now He is fully man. Jumping to chapter 2, verse 3, it says, this is in Colossians, Therefore in Christ are treasures hidden in knowledge. Going to first 9, it says, All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In Him you have been made complete. And that's an amazing thought. That's a wonderful reality for us to observe in the Scriptures. Um, Verse 16 of John chapter 1, going back, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace, Uh, verse 17 for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ Um, god is god's glory is clearly seen in his grace and we are reminded um, how much we need that grace we see him and we see who we are and how much we need god's grace that's why once again that song lord i need you i can't help but think that's a that's a cry out to god for his grace Seeing Jesus shows us how sinful we are. If you uh, remember the passage in Isaiah 6, he's like, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Um, he, needed, he needed God's grace. Um, and God did give it to him. But talking about that phrase, grace for grace, that's talking about grace upon grace. That if you go back to the law, we talked about how the law was an act of grace. Let's think about this new covenant we have with Christ. Grace just keeps... It's, it's not just one and done, grace just keeps overlapping itself. It's like the waves of the sea, like watching them as the waves roll on top of each other. Uh, Romans 5.2 shows that we are engulfed in waves of grace. Uh, there are no gaps in the grace of God. As believers in Christ, we have been given eternal life that comes with endless grace. No breaks or gaps, it's like a constant stream. There's no second of that eternal life we experience that is without the grace of God. Um, going back to verse seven, uh, going back to Exodus uh, in verse 17 um, or not with ver- verse 17. sorry, my notes are messed up here right, but it shows that the, the law was a gift of grace. It pointed us to God, it restrained sin, it showed us what pleased and displeased God, but it was incomplete. Um, The grace that Christ provides us is greater than the grace of the law because what what's the deal with the law? The law can't save when Jesus came and he revealed himself and saved us from our sins. That is what gave us the completion we need Um, The glorious son of God has come and that's why we celebrate Christmas. His love doesn't stop. It's unending He never gives up. It's going to be there forever And my question to all of you is have you experienced the grace of God through Jesus the truth is, we all need that grace because we are sinners. And Jesus does forgive us; He takes away our transgressions. Um, we've been—we can't be cleared to see God through our own works, through our own actions. We need—we uh, need what Jesus uh, provides, and that's His His grace. He took our guilt. He went to the cross as though He were guilty, and then that's how we experience God's forgiveness. In Jesus, we experience his grace and glory. And that brings me um, to my last point. We can also know grace on top of grace. And I know I've already talked about this. Um, I want to demonstrate how God, God's invisibility or God manifesting himself in Jesus, um, he has made him known, God has made him known so that we can know that grace upon grace. Uh, Jesus, through the incarnation, is a way for us to see God. Back then, they physically saw him, um, and one day we're going to see him, we're going to be able to see not just him, but we'll see the Father. And this is how grace works. It does for us what the law could not do. It tells us what is, like I said, the law tells us uh, what is wrong, but it can't forgive those wrongs. Grace forgives and makes it possible to even stop doing wrong. It gives us freedom from sin. And nothing else um, is full of grace and truth like the Lord Jesus You you might think your loved ones are gracious. You might think your friends, your spouse, uh, your parents, your children. They can all show us grace, but it all falls short of the grace of Jesus. They're not full of grace like Jesus is. Um, If we try to get favor and um, we try to gain merit through our own efforts, we're always going to fall short. Um, But the good news is this. If you get nothing else, here's, here's here's the wonderful news about the grace of God. We do not have a sin that God's grace cannot forgive. There's nothing we can fall into that God's grace will not lift us out of. Um, some people think that their sin is too great. I've had conversations with people when I was witnessing to them. They say, God can never forgive someone like me for the things that I've done. And they, they don't see, that it's, it's ironic, they don't see their arrogance. They don't see their pride because they think their sin is greater than the grace of God. That's not possible. Uh, possible. The Apostle Paul says, where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Grace is greater than all their sin. I remember, um, I think it was actually, I took Ashley to see a concert during our honeymoon. Um, She's a big Matthew West fan, so um, she wanted to go see him, and he just happened to be in the area where um, we were honeymooning. At least that's the way I remember it. Um, I don't know if I did that intentionally or not but he had a a song called Child of the One True King and in the music video, and he actually did the music video on stage he had a number of people doing what was called cardboard testimonies Um, and this was talking about people with stories how they had been changed and set free because of the amazing grace of God and that cardboard had two sides the one side showed what they were before they experienced the grace of God and then the other side shows what the grace of God has done for them Like for example, maybe they were an alcoholic. Now they're saying they are sober by the grace of God. Maybe they were addicted to pornography and now they are living a life of purity. Maybe they were gamblers and now on the other side it says they are debt free by His grace. Maybe they're angry and bitter. Maybe they've got anxiety, worry, struggles, all that. The grace of God is sufficient for all of those things and more. Another thing we need to remember when we think about all this is is that we cannot come to God on our own terms. We can't have it our way. We have to come to God the way He expects. I I can't help but think of the story of Cain and Abel when they both made offerings to the Lord. God had expectations of what He considered as acceptable. Abel made a sin offering. He sacrificed one of his flock. Blood was shed. And that was atonement, um, in in a sense, for, for sin. But Cain ended up just making a grain offering. And thinking that was good enough. That that would satisfy God's expectations. He wasn't willing to commit to what God's standard was. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're living your life according to your works. And unfortunately that's where you are living according to the law. You are trying to gain merit with the Father. But you've already messed up. And all it's going to do eventually is remind you of your guilt and shame. And ultimately leave you unredeemed. Only the grace of God... Is sufficient, and we can only obtain it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through His death and resurrection, um, the Lord Jesus will save us and change us and sustain us through His grace and truth. Uh, there's a passage that that shows us the significance of His grace, the strength of sustaining us, and I love this passage. It's in Romans 8 verses 38 and 39. It says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, we look at, going back to John chapter 1, we, we see his glory, and that glory and that grace, that forgives us of our sin. That's, that not only um, saves us from the, the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. And the presence of sin. And that's all wrapped up into one thing. And that's where that idea of grace upon grace comes from. And this is why we celebrate and honor the Lord. For the greatest gift of Christmas. The provision of His grace coming to the world in flesh. Dwelling within us. uh, Dwelling with us. Enabling us by that grace to behold His glory. Now if you've been saved and you've experienced His grace. Here's a challenge for you to think about. We should extend that grace to other people. Let us not be quick to judge others' hard attitudes. And I struggle with this where I'll see people who are grumpy and uh, unforgiving, but then I have that same attitude towards them. And I have to examine my heart and remember that no matter uh, what is done to me or done to others, um, God forgave me. God forgave me, and so I should forgive others. I should extend grace to them. Um, As sinners saved by grace, um, we should let God's grace and glory... The grace and glory of Christ remind us today to be people that want to worship and glorify the Word that became flesh. And then as we also consider the greatest gift of Christmas and the new year and every day, we want to have a constant reminder uh, to worship and glorify God through this. Christmas is a time to enjoy the grace of God. If you're not a born-again believer, this is the other part of the challenge. If you're not saved, I'd encourage you to reach out to us. So we can show you how to trust in Christ as your Savior. The rest of the world is trying to get to God or do their own thing by their own works, by their own deeds. They are trying to come to God on their own terms. But the fact remains that we are only saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much... uh, that we unpacked in just these four verses and I know we bounced around throughout Scripture but as we consider you sending your son to become flesh to dwell with us so that we can behold your glory and experience your grace I pray in light of the Christmas season I know it's over I know we're looking we're already really past New Year's help us to keep these thoughts in mind as we go out into the world help us to have a sharper understanding of what exactly your glory means what exactly it means that Jesus came in the flesh, going to the cross to save us, so that we can have eternal life. Help us as believers to keep that in mind. Is there's anyone here or listening online that doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, help us to reach out to share the gospel with them. Um, I pray, Lord, if people are listening and they don't know, they don't know where they'd spend eternity, I pray that they just remember what we've, what we've talked about today, the importance of the incarnation and you coming in, uh, the, the, your son coming in the flesh. And Lord, I just pray um, once again, and I can't emphasize this enough, in light of the Christmas season, help us to uh, behold your glory and seek to share it with others. And, 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 and everything we do and say, whether we're eating or drinking or, or playing games or or going to work, or doing school, or what have you. Lord, help us to do it all to your honor and glory. And we ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Rob Caudell, Associate Pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Tilton, Illinois. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website, calvarytilton.com. That's calvarytilton.com. Thank you for listening. Bye.